Over the last 20 years, the word mediation has started to be seen as a viable and effective solution for settling disputes. Selena Morgan Gale is the founder and director of SMG Mediation Limited. She has extensive experience as a mediator and a corporate background as a human resources and operation manager. Her mediation service handles civil, commercial, employment, workplace and family matters, as well as neighbourhood and landlord and tenant disputes as well. If you want to know more about Selena and how she can help your business, then join us after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Coke, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film and a favourite single or album and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at the Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. The Cashflow Show, coming to you from the City of London. Real people, real business, real talk. Hello Selena and welcome to the Cashflow Show in association with PRMS Limited. Hello, Clayton. Hello. Thank you for having me today. You're most welcome. I've given everybody a brief introduction of who I think you are, but it's always best said from the person who knows themselves the best, and that would be you. So tell us who you are and a little bit about your business. Well, I'm Selena Mungau. I am the founder and CEO of SMG Media which is the acronym for my name, but it also stands for Settlement Remediation with Our Guidance. It's service company where we handle and support legal disputes through civil, commercial, workplace and employment and we actually do a little bit of family matters as well. So that's who I am and what I do. Is this your first business and how did you get into this? Yes, this is my first business. So my background is of law background. I effectively have two law degrees um, and I studied basically to be a barrister. I've done the BPTC, which stands for Bar Professional Training Course. Um, it's now Bar Vocational Course now. But um, at that time I was doing it, I was studying that. And um, the journey really began because I always wanted to just do law. I, I'm a firm believer. I'm excited about knowledge. And it just so happened that it took that direction. So it's always something I was interested in. I do have other things that I have interest in, but that was like, that's going to be my career. And then it kind of took a change um, towards the end of the BPTC when I you know, got pregnant and it was something that was planned. And it just had me in a direction where I was like, I don't think this is going to be for me and that I'll be able to have the family life as well as have the love for the career. And then for me, it was more like an epiphany and God saying to me, you're still going to be able to do what you love, but it's going to be in this direction with mediation. And thankfully, at that time, I took on an accreditation and decided to use it and open my own business. And, and that was mainly because I had my two-year-old at the time and I wanted to be a hands-on mum whilst having and living in my passion. And I couldn't find anything that was like a 10 till two. And I thought, well, this is going to be it. I'm going to open up a business. That way I'll be able to marry the two together, family life and a passion for me and having me back after having my son um, and being in control of my time. And that's exactly what's happened. Eight years or nearly eight years down the line in September. Um, that's where we'll be celebrating our eighth year. That's what happened. Congratulations. Thank you. When you did your barrister training, at that time, really, 
the idea of mediation as a means of settling things, it wasn't really a popular idea at that time, was it? No, I actually didn't even know what mediation was. It was only because when I finished the BPTC, we were the first law school because I went to BPP law school and we were the chosen law school to have someone coming and teach us and kind of like a prerequisite. Um, and it was just an add on. And um, it was a fee that we had to pay, but it was a very small fee because they were kind of like a trial run. And I was like, well, I'll just stick that on my CV. I'll just add it. They're offering it to us um, at a really, really, you know, discounted rate. And that's what I saw it as. I didn't actually know what mediation was. It wasn't something that I was looking to use because my head was just straight to being a barrister. It wasn't even solicitor. I was like, I want to be a barrister. Um, so it wasn't like he says something that was well known. And, and if it was, it wasn't definitely to me. It was just something like I felt was ad hoc. You know, you could do it, have some interest in it. So, yeah. yeah. And I should say for our American cousins who are listening, soliciting in the UK doesn't mean what it means for you in the US. It it's perfectly legal, and a solicitor, a solicitor does ex exactly what you would expect somebody in suits to do. In in yeah. America, they get two for one; <laughs> they get the solicitor yeah. and the barrister at the same time. Um, yeah. uh, but we're over here, the the profession is it, there is a demarcation; there is a line between the two of them. So don't worry; um, um, <laughs> you can be assured that um, uh, Selena's not been involved in any nonsense no, at all. Whatsoever. Definitely not. So, Nothing illegal. Exactly <laughs> whatsoever. So I remember when I studied law, it was all about very combative. It was all about we're going to win, we're going to make applications, we're going to set aside judgments, we're going to, you know, force whatever uh, um, we can on the other side. And then what happened was, to a certain extent, the wolf reforms came as far as law was concerned and changed the way that people should look at how litigation or basically how cases were conducted and that to me changed the way that mediation started to be viewed as really a serious and viable option because obviously they turned everything around that effectively before you wanted to litigate you need to have found every way to settle your case. I think they definitely strengthened that in, you know, in the CPR rules in CPR 25 which simply says that you have to do everything you can coming to court and whilst not just saying it the judge is actually acting upon it because that rule has actually been there for a while and so yeah that was one of the things I mean, and that's what really drove me to wanting to do law because it was like the justice the fairness of it all and like you said sometimes it really isn't it's just the battle of who can argue the best case and who could win and who could fight the most and get the most for that person while sometimes not always bringing the best value to it. It was just, well, I've done the job. Um, but yeah, that's when it really took its reform with it, just understanding there's a backlog. Um, actually, some of these cases don't need to reach here. You know, a lot of people are paying a lot of money for very small claims cases when they really could have just spoke to each other and maybe sat down with a family friend or <laughs> a exactly. neighbour to resolve it. So yeah, that's when I felt like it, it, it really took a change to say, actually, there are other, you know, what was a considered at the time alternative dispute resolution that you don't actually have to come to court it's not the core thing that you have to do in order to resolve any dispute or conflict do you think that a lot of people still have the opinion that I've either won in court or I lost in court and it's never an idea that we've managed to settle a dispute I think sometimes because I think that whole kind of terminology of like I want my day in court I think it's also because that's what's made them consider that that's the only time they're going to get heard if I don't get go to court 
that other person, that other business is not going to hear me. Whereas I think that's slightly changing now that actually we can still be heard through mediation. Even if I don't fully understand what it is, let's try this approach. And there's a lot more people seeing a better success rate. So they're like, actually, let me try this process. Whereas before I, I felt like the government wasn't as supportive um, towards it. So that's kind of helped as well for people to say, oh, hold on, there's this thing called mediation. What's that again? You know, support myself. I can do it alone. I actually don't even need to have a lawyer in this case for our cousins in America. Did you feel that as a mediator that you were sort of pushing a snowball up a hill for want of a better expression? Only because um, I felt the lack of knowledge. The people that I came across wasn't fully aware of it. So it was a way if I had to really explain what the process is and really explain the benefits of it for them to go, oh, actually, I'm happy to use it, but I, I don't actually know what you're talking about. I don't actually know what this process does. I've never heard of it. And or if it was the case, the other flip side was one party knew about it and was willing, but the other party was kind of just like, no. And that might be because the issues were entrenched and or because they just didn't know about it enough to be able to accept that kind of process. So for me, I, I felt like it was more of lack of knowledge. You know, I didn't know enough about it. But had I known, I would have used you as opposed to gone to court because it was really, you know, for example, a messy divorce or separation or what have you. We had a lady very early on in the early stages of the cash flow show called Michelle Camacho, who's a solicitor, and she specializes in family. And she introduced me to the concept of the divorce coach. And I don't know if you've ever heard of, of, of those or had any dealings with divorce coaches. No. I haven't. No, I didn't even know. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, loads of coaches, but I didn't know there was actually a divorce coach. But it makes sense to have one because there's a lot of emotions that happens after it. And you need a lot leading up to, especially if you have a court case and it's quite an entrenched one. But equally afterwards, there's a lot you're dealing with um, after it. So, yeah, but I, I don't I haven't specifically met a divorce coach per se. Someone that deals with family matters in coaching. Yes but not, you know, a divorce coach per se. Yeah, it's quite an interesting concept because the way that she explained it on the show was almost as if to say that when somebody came to her, she suggested as part of that preparation before even starting that they went to see the divorce coach to look at what their options were and if that exactly was where they wanted to go. And I would assume that a divorce coach would then necessarily send um, their client to somebody like you in order to basically create whether it's a situation where there is a, a mediation or a discussion or whatever, even if the relationship, both parties agree that they've come to terms and they want to bring the relationship to an end, that somebody like you would obviously facilitate a much smoother closure of that relationship. So would it be a case of like having divorce coaches really assessing whether or not in their opinion, um, that the, the parties are ready to have a mediation. Is, is, is that what I'm gathering from it? It's almost like, let's assess with, you know, if it's ready or if it's if worthy, your case is worthy or going through mediation before. Well, I don't think it's even so much as being worthy, but I suppose as part of the skills that they, I suppose somebody would come along to their divorce coach and I would say, would say, I want to get divorced. And I suppose that person would then say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about where the kids are going to go? Have you thought about where you're going to live, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But also at the same time, at the end of the day, if you don't feel you can communicate with that partner or soon to be ex-partner, do you need a mediator? And then that divorce coach then sends that person along to refer them to a mediator. And then basically that maybe ties up that whole process at that end. 
I, I don't know. This is completely off the top of my head. No, no, but it, it sounds, but it also sounds like it's the work of the media because it's some of the skills in which the mediator would kind of assess, you know, is kind of playing that devil's advocate. Have you thought about this? Okay, you want the child on this particular day in those particular times, but have you thought about how that affects the child? Have you thought about how that would affect the other party, regardless of all the emotions and the relationship you now have? Um so I, I don't know. It, it makes me think it's it's a, it's a good thing to have. But then equally, does that now mean they're going to need or want a mediator? Because if the skills are quite... Oh, no, no, no. They're not doing any mediation. They are just basically, you know, like, OK, the best way to put it, you know, you've got a wedding planner. And the wedding planner basically says, right, okay, you're going to need uh, a wedding dress, you're going to need a cake, you're going to need a blah, blah, blah. And they put all these things together in order that you ultimately have this smooth wedding. This is the kind of the anti-wedding planner, if you like. You, you're basically then saying to that person as the divorce coach, and I'm guessing here, because I need to get the divorce coach on now, that the reality would be that that divorce coach would then basically say, these are the things that you're going to need to exit your relationship. And one of those things I'm going to need to do is to consider whether or not you've got to consider whether or not you want to see a mediator before you do that. And they're just a referrer, for want of a better expression. No, I I, to I totally understand it. I just think they're the skill set possibly, and obviously I don't know enough about how they would, you know, coach someone. I thought it was more coaching their emotions and coaching their understanding. I think of the it process, probably as is as opposed to, you know, understanding what they're actually doing and listing those things and saying, actually, do you need one or actually, did you think about having one? Because nine times out of ten of the the clients that I meet, they know they need help. How they use that help, how they um, and who they choose to support them in that is the question. And that's where I think if the divorce coach is only there to kind of list out the kind of things that you need, as opposed to really, I would say, coaching them on their emotions or coaching them in this new um, way of living, because now long, I'm no longer in a marriage. I'm, I'm now single. How do I deal with my singleness? That's how I'm seeing their coaching. Right. But it, it could be. It could be all of those things. It could be a number, you know, marrying of different levels of, yeah, actually, I do that as well. And I do that. It depends who comes to me. Um, but if it is just kind of an assessing these are things you need, I would say the people that I'm meet meeting are aware of mediation. It's just who am I going to? How does a mediation or a typical mediation session work? Well, if we're talking about family, and I'll go with that one first, because that is slightly different to the the other three areas in which we cover. Family, the, a typical one, and that's come under my um, mediation initial you know, meeting, that generally is something that's done online or it's done in person. Um, it all depends on the parties and it also depends on the mediator if they're willing to do in-person <laughs> mediations at the time. But um, it's, it's basically two people coming together. Generally, if they're amicable enough and they want to be and happy to be in the same room, whether virtually or in person, they will have what we have is a one and a half hour session. We don't tend to do it any longer than that because normally those issues can be quite entrenched and quite emotional because it's family. It's personal, right? It's like somebody coming into your home and cleaning. It's quite a personal thing. Of course. So we have an hour half session with them sometimes it's done separately then it's now and a half each person but generally they're happy to come together and then it's like up to about four sessions minimum we we tend to have because we find that can cover a lot of areas and that's an hour and a half times four if it's regarding employment civil and commercial or workplace that's normally a slot session so if it's two parties or more we're giving them at least four six or eight hours depending on the the complexity of the issues or 
the number of parties. So the biggest amount of parties I've had is a 12 party. It's likely you're going to need an eight and or more because of the amount of people involved, as well as if I'm looking at the issues that are involved as well. Um, but that tends to be like a day or half day session because of the, the level of dispute and also the way in which the dispute goes. Whereas family, we find that if you do three or four hours, it's just it's too much for the parties. It's just way too much. So it's split up in sessions that way. So I call them sessions. You know, it would be a half day session, a full day session. But in a sense of family, it's a one and a half hour session. And that generally might go over longer. So you might have one one and a half hour session this week and you might decide, actually, it's a bit too much. Can we do with one next week? And that might take you over four weeks, whereas a workplace employment or civil and commercial dispute might take you over a day or two days in one week. So it all depends. Sometimes you think it can be done in a day or two days and it generally can, but that might take you over a period of time from the initial meeting of them saying, I want mediation to you actually doing the mediation, depending on each other's schedule. It could be between, you know, two to, to four weeks, even though you know you want to have mediation. It's about the availability to all the parties and obviously the mediator involved. Excellent. And that's how we do it. We've, we've changed it and find that it works really well that way, as opposed to um, doing bigger sessions in the family or smaller sessions in the workplace employment and uh, sibling commercial. So you briefly mentioned workplace mediations and I can imagine and I can only imagine I've seen some contentious issues in offices over the years and I can ensure it, the same thing applies to other industrial type of workplaces and employment, they must get pretty intense. They are. Funny enough, I mean, people always say to me, <laughs> you know, do you get a headache? Do you get sick? I, I'm, I'm an empath, so I actually pick up a lot of energy. And that's just generally how I am. I'm, I'm very invested anyway into the people that I support, in the businesses I support. I, if I didn't feel there was a place where I felt like I was really invested in what's going on, I wouldn't take on the case. That's just me because I wouldn't allow my integrity to be compromised in any way, shape or form. But I do. And I feel like I pick them, they pick me. However, in the situation, because I'm so invested and because I'm there to help and they see me as the help, um, I, I tend to, that helps me to find for it and actually work through the issues a lot more because I know my role, I understand it. And I also know me, I know what I can do. Equally, I haven't really found what I can't do because nothing's not worked. <laughs> but I, I know me and I know what I'm here to do and how they see me. And I think it's important that the person sees you as the help. The person doesn't see you as the enemy. The person doesn't see you as somebody that's walked in and I haven't got a choice. They have a right to be there. They are willing to be there. And I always say to people that it's about the willingness. It could be 0.5%. Are you willing so when you've got contentious issue, I mean, I've dealt with it, especially, you know, over the pandemic where workplace issues were coming up, especially because, you know, of the black community, of the Asian community, it was just like left, right and centre. And me being one of the only black female well-known mediators, I was called upon. Um, and I, you know, one of my main big parties that I had was 12 parties and it was a complete race issue. And you can only imagine, like you said, the contention that was in there. Um, but because, like I said, all the parties, whether they looked like me or not, saw me as a support system, saw me as a way through, as a breakthrough and had that level of willingness, the contention came down, you know, so much so that the, the parties would, you know, shock themselves. I didn't think we we're going to be in a room together. Mm. I've had parties simply say, Selena, if we don't have this mediation, I don't know how we're going to have another team meeting. Mm. Very but much so. I think when you know yourself and know what you're there to do, and for me, it's not just a passion for me, it's a purpose. 
this is my calling. I know what I'm here to do and I know that I have to meet it. And it's, it's a different hat that goes on. Um, and then for some reason, you know, everyone I've taken on, and like I said, that's the biggest mediation I've had is a 12 party and it was a complete race issue. It's allowed me to break through because I feel like I'm I'm living in what I'm supposed to be doing and I know what I'm here to do and how they view me. Excellent. So one thing that comes up when people talk about mediations and their concerns regarding mediation is, I don't know if triangulation is the right word, but they say that, especially in family cases, if there's a female mediator, that they feel that it's one-sided. Oh, that. oh that's actually news to me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's something that gets circulated. It's never happened to me, so I've never been in that position. But I bring it up because of people do mention it when they talk about mediation. Now, I, I'm a fan of mediation. Uh, you know, I trained as a family mediator. I was a neighborhood mediator. And in the work that I do now, a lot of it is mediation. So I understand the values of the benefits of it. But a lot of people, they're quite suspicious because as far as they're, they're concerned, like we discussed earlier, you're either a winner or you're a loser. And this is what creates that sort of dynamic. But the, the argument that some many complain about, especially in family matters, is that they feel that if there's especially a female mediator, it's one-sided. And some women then say, if it's a male mediator, it's one-sided. So it's very interesting how that comes about. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts were. Well, for me, it's very interesting because I've I've not even heard it even through the circuit that's been been the case. Um, that's not to say that it hasn't been there, but I haven't come across it. But it's funny, even just you saying that and this is outside of mediation. Even when I've done a lot of my court work, a lot of the um, the clients that I had were actually male for family. And I'd think to myself, why would they call upon a female? If the issue they're having is with their child's mother, who's a thief. <laughs> yeah, but it does actually make sense. It does make sense. Okay. It does make like, sense. I'm going to get a man in and they're going to do the job. And obviously that kind of that stereotype of maybe a man can do that job because it's not, maybe I'm not doing it as well. So maybe someone else, but they would call upon me and they wouldn't feel biased. They wouldn't feel, you know, as if I was doing anything wrong or I was side with her and I wouldn't do the best. Um, and maybe, like you said, that's different in that sense, but in in family mediation um no the only issues i've come across is if there is uh you know one party of you know a, a black probably background and the other party's white and generally the party that's inviting me to come on has been aware that you know i am of white background and my soon-to-be ex-wife is black so i need a mediator that can support her as well as me mm -hmm. i've had that okay but i haven't had well, actually, now we've had this mediation, I've sided. And even in cases outside of family, I have found that the reason why they've wanted me, because I understand, because I am a woman, and because I understand that women, in, in, in most part, tend to speak more in mediations, I actually find ways to say, right, how am I going to get and allow the woman, because I know that's a woman's thing. A woman likes to speak. That's how they release most of the time. Even if nothing's happened afterwards, just speaking to their friend about it, they felt like they've resolved it. How do I allow her to speak whilst allowing the male to be able to speak as well, not feel silence? So for me, I'm more aware of that because I am a female and I understand that's how females work. And I've never been told personally or even known through the circuit that most men actually feel like, oh, I'm having this mediation, but it's only going to go one way because I've got a family mediator who's female. So that's actually interesting to me. I am taking it purely from an anecdotal point of somebody who 
is a person that listens to other people's concerns. And as I said, I don't think it's one of those things that you would actually hear. It's the type of thing that people would attend, then walk away from, and then say to their mate in the pub, well, it was always going to go wrong, wasn't it? Because at the end of the day, <laughs> there's another woman there, weren't there? <laughs> and that's, okay. that's, what, that's the point that I'm making. I don't think that it's necessarily anybody's fault, because the problem is, is that to retain balance between two people is an incredible tightrope to walk. Incredible. It's, as I said, I, I have to do it all the time, you know, and I, I empathise with you 100% because sometimes having to explain to my own client, listen, you've messed up here. Um, and now, and then having to be honest enough to acknowledge to, you know, the person who's the opposite number, yeah, my client's messed up, but there's still a problem here and we need to resolve this. And I think that that openness can sometimes help. But as I said, it's not something that I think that you would experience. I think maybe you've managed to be one of those people. Oh, it's just never got back to me. <laughs> it's never got back to me or I've never heard somebody outside. And even if it hasn't happened to me, I've never heard somebody from the family circuit say, yeah, I've, I've, I've had that or I've heard down mm. the line that they felt this about me. But it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just maybe didn't come back to me where I, I heard about it. But I mean... Like I said, it's it's definitely a formulated argument in that, yeah, that possibly is the case because regardless if you're trying to be as balanced, like you said, it's a it's a tightrope, number one. And number two, you're a female, so you, you might even just you know, subconsciously just draw towards them because you're a female sharing the same or similar emotions. But yeah, I mean, you do your best that you can in order to ensure that there's balance. I, I find what helps when I'm doing it is constant reminders of why we're here and why you have told me why you need this. Mm. I take me out of it because if you constantly remind, I mean, I ask questions even way before the mediation, why do you want it? Even if the question is sometimes in workplace and employment, well, I'm kind of here because we've gone down the disciplinary grievance procedure and this is my, you know, only other option or and or or they've strongly advised me that I should take this on, although they say it's my choice. So even if they feel like they've got little choice, why would you want it? What is it that you need to get out of it? So then when the mediation happens, I'm constantly reminded of what they said without being like, well, hold on a minute. You told me this. You told me this. But it is that reminder because you can forget in the process. You can get caught up. And for me, that's what restores the balance, because you've said this and you've said this. And especially if they mirror what they've said, even if it's paraphrased in different ways, that helps them to come closer. Then they forget about the fact is I'm female, I'm male, I'm black, you're white. It just comes about, well, hold on, what do we both need to do? We both want to resolve this without having to spend more time or spend more money or be in a position where our children are now messed up, so to speak. Yeah. If you remind them of that, then everything else, it's almost like it becomes so minuscule or non-existent. Is it because as a mediator, you're effectively providing, you're providing the role of a facilitator, but you're also allowing or making sure that people focus? Yes. And I'm making sure they're being heard because you, otherwise you feel like you're silencing them. Oh, no, you can't speak now because at the end of the day, this person's only spoke for 10 minutes. Um, no, sorry, you can't speak now because at the end of the day, we, t we weren't going to talk about that on that list. I don't carry out my mediations based on a set way. I let it flow. 
And that can be difficult too, because you're thinking, oh, you can open yourself up to so many different things. But if you allow that energy to be what I feel is free, and but also bring the focal point to why you're here and what you both want out of it, even when those times where it gets a little bit, you know, contentious, then for me, that circulates everything. And I, I use breaks. You know, I had a mediation last week and it was necessary that the two parties that we had before, the two parties that came in because it was we split them up. Um, the whole room changed. The energy changed. And I could feel that. But like I said, I'm an empath. So I use part of what I do in my spirituality to kind of read the room. And we came back and the whole thing changed. And it was just like, OK, we just needed that time out. You needed a little bit. Air. You needed a little bit. Air. We all need a little bit. Air. OK, let's go and do it. Excellent. So you've got to read the room and you've got to not allow yourself to treat every single mediation the same. Yes, we are people, we all share that, we're human beings, but you don't know what kind of self is gonna show up. You don't know as a mediator, because your energy can be impacted by what's going on in the room. So you have to be prepared to know that I have to adjust me, I have to amend in order to make sure that the aim goal is they're gonna leave with something they want. And what is it they want? They don't want this issue to be an issue anymore. And that's where for me, it makes a difference. Coming to you from the City of London. Real people. Real business. Real talk. Are there ever mediations that just cannot be settled? Do you know, that's a good question. I haven't come across any. <laughs> I'm sure there are probably out there. But I, I, I think the reason behind a lot of them that haven't settled, and I go back to this again, is the level of willingness. And then I go back to, have you picked the right person for you? Because it's like a relationship. You could want a relationship all day long, right? You could think about how this relationship is going to be successful. But if you're in the wrong, with the wrong person, try to achieve that. It didn't work because relationships don't work. It didn't work because you wasn't with the right person that was going to, you know, drive you and be on that focal point of where you need to be at the end of your, you know, your life or towards the aim in which your life is supposed to be, your purpose. And that's why I think it fails. So for me, it's mainly those two things. Maybe that person wasn't for you. Maybe that timing wasn't for you. And or how willing and open was you for this mediation to work? Because that's the question that leads on to the next question that I'm asking is how much of the outcome from mediation sessions is determined by the mindset of the participants? Say a lot. I would say a lot. I would say it doesn't take a lot for them to be open. But I just think if you could crack a window... I definitely think because I've I've had mediations where, you know, the parties have simply said, Selena, you know, I'm going to turn up on this mediation. But if I'm honest with you, I'm not sure if it's really going to work. And I've, I've really got nothing to say. Mediation comes. The person who said they had very little to say to nothing. That's where we're probably going over time. Oh, yeah, they're kicking off. They're, those are the ones. Oh. Right. But not in a way where they're arguing. You, you, they don't even realise, actually, I'm... I'm so open to it, but I'm actually open to wanting to sort this out that I didn't realise just how much. I thought it's not going to work or, you know, whatever I'm going to say is not going to work. So I'm going to be quiet. I'm, I've silenced myself already, mm -hmm. but I've allowed them to open themselves, you know, have that vulnerability, but equally still keep that part of them where they're saying, actually, if I don't say this, then at least then I'm in a position where I'm still holding what I need to dare to me, but I'm still allowing that person to understand my point. And then it's you as the mediator to express that and say things such as I'm hearing this or this person saying this. What do you take from that? Sometimes I don't have that language. It's, you know, you, you're not articulate enough to be able to let that person understand what you're really feeling and what you've been going through. Um, 
so I feel like it, it rests on the willingness of it but it also rests on have you got the right mediator that understands you and are you in the right time you know some people could say mediation will work for me because the way my head was at that moment I would have failed that mediation that's that's self-awareness that now has not come down to the process that's not come down to the mediator that comes down to I'm not in that space but it equally if you allow that person to be in that space and you as a mediator can open them up then quite frankly this is why I say it's only a small amount of willingness that's needed you can open them up even more where they come in with 0.5% of willingness. And by the time you've got to the mediation, they're 10% there. But that is a level of skill from the mediator to draw that out of them because some of them don't know they have it. They think, oh, it doesn't exist, Selena. It's, there's, there's not that part of me. But don't worry, when I sit you down and get in there and I'm, I'm focal in ensuring that we're going to get to the end goal because I know it's in you. The fact that you're even on this call with me today, that's where I feel like it's a game changer. Excellent. Now that we've got in depth with mediation and what it holds and what it entails in your business, we're going to find out a little bit more about you as a person away from mediation. So what we're going to do is we're going to move on to our section called What Are You Like? Which I'm supposed to say in a Cockney accent, but I don't know. <laughs> what are you like? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> exactly, yeah, you're supposed to say it like that. Yeah, that's it. That's, <laughs> that works well. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to look at things that are important to you. So first thing, we're going to look at what your favourite book is. And you've got down here as The Power of Consistency by Weldon Long. Yeah. Right. I looked this up before. I'd never heard of this before. But Did you know? No. no, no. <laughs> You're missing out. <laughs> Do you know something? One of the great things about doing this podcast yeah, is how much I've learned. Now, for example, we had a lady, Nicola Millington, that's who it is. Mm. And she basically said that when a politician has a book out, you can guarantee that what they're doing is trying to wipe the slate clean and effectively trying to then be run for some kind of public office. And you know something? I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And I started to put two and two together. And then I saw in, in the newspaper and on the radio that Jeremy Hunt, who was the health secretary, is now trying to jockey for position in order to be the, the lead of the Conservative Party. Yeah, and guess what? He's just brought out a book. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. There, you, there go. you go. There you go. So you heard it on the cash flow show and now yeah. it, 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 it's real. The knowledge is real and this is what I love. But let's go back to the power of consistency and world and long. How to achieve wealth, happiness and peace of mind through personal responsibility, private declarations dictate future actions. That's deep. I know, well, the way you read it as well was very deep. I love that. You <laughs> sold it. You might have a new ambassador. <laughs> I was trying to give it my, my Morgan No, you gave gravitas. it. You definitely did. <laughs> so, so tell me, what does the power of consistency by Weldon Long, what does it mean to you? The thing is, I read this while I was at a time because I was opening up the second business and I really was like, okay, what is it I need to do? And it was more focused around kind of sales and marketing and sales funnel. And my mentor at the time said, you know, read this book because there was like a long list of books you had to read. And I was trying to read a book a week. Um, I sort of achieved it for the first few months and then it went to like a book a month. And I was like, All right, I'm still doing it. And um, when I read this book, I it just hit me in ways that I've, I couldn't even imagine, you know, without giving too much away, because I think it's a really great story. 
it's about a man that was in prison and basically manifested his whole life from prison bars. And the way the story is, it's almost like if you felt, it's kind of bad depending on how you see it, is if you felt you've had a bad day, read that book. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Your day couldn't be half as bad all years because he was in prison for a long, I won't say the exact amount of years, but he was in prison for a long time. And it just, for me, showed the power of what I normally say, the power of the tongue, the power of the mind, that when you visualize, like, you materialize. And that's what he effectively done from his prison cell. And whilst I've been into prisons to give talks, I've never sat in a prison for even a night. I've never done it, right? Neither but me. I, no, not me either. Not I, me. I, not I, done it. Not, not for half a second, no, right? No, I, I avoid those places. Not for but me. But think, you know, somebody can do that for a number of years. And, you know, he's, this is in America. You know, mm. I, I feel <laughs> to my American cousins, your prisons are way, <laughs> way more worse than ours, the conditions. So to really kind of create a life that you know you want and that you desire and that you believe that you deserve, regardless of what you have done, because he was a criminal at the time, but he's trying to change his life. For me, that's what makes that book so profound. Excellent. So your second book here is The Secret Mind of a Millionaire by T. Yeah. Harv Aker. I think yes. Aker or Acker? Aker? Acker. Yeah, Acker. I think they say Acker. Our cousins will say Acker, but yeah. I'm sure we will say Acker. <laughs> so, The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. This seems, this is another one that seems incredibly <laughs> deep. Uh, I, I need some more sort of kind of music for the background for these deep, deep, deep books. Um, this was actually part of the list I was reading as well because I was very much into, okay, how do I have a growth mindset? I love self-help books, especially business books, anything that is you know, growing your mind, making you any sort of betterment. That's me. Give me the book. I'll read it. I'll sit down because I'm, I'm literally a true advocate of being better, whether that's being a mother, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member, professional, I just want to be better. So much so I'm, I'm striving for being the best, but not trying to be there because I'm a firm believer that if I'm at my best, that's probably the end of my time. Right. <laughs> so this was it. So I was um, really into just knowing how to declare, you know, affirmations are always there, but I really enjoy declarations. I feel like it's more of a statement. It's more of um, a stronger intention. So much so it's like a, a, a stage of being in practice. And that book really reaps and gives you real declarations. So you're making this promise to yourself to do this to be this um to become this and that book for me where it just kind of wrote down loads of different ways where you're saying I am I am this you're living as if you are that thing or that person or that way of life without actually being it without actually saying to yourself or you're lying to yourself because affirmations can do that you're saying well I am this but you're like "Mm, I'm not really I'm just saying it (laughs) (laughs) I don't really feel it but I should I'm I'm told I should say it it kind of gives you that feeling is it like well not there yet so why did I just act like I am but it's not a fake it till you make it it's saying look don't always live in the mindset or the state that you are now live in the state in which you want to be in which you know you're going to become but put in the work you know don't do like a Jim Carrey as he says which I absolutely love this saying you know don't sit there and say you want something and eat a sandwich you've got to go and put the work in and I agree with him so action for me plus you know for me in that sense faith means success you're putting in the work you're believing in the process it's going to show up. And that was my first way of really having the declarations in that book. I won't say what they are because it's quite a long list as well. I use that every day. 
and that helps my money growth mindset because it was me about my spirituality the money my health um it was everything and I was like okay that part does it for that part it does other things as well but for me that's my money growth mindset and it's about shifting that paradigm and that does that for me because I am speaking as if I am and a lot of the time now I've become it where I don't even need to be like oh I'm saying it because I'm gonna come one day I am it I live that I strive to be that so yeah that's where that one came from (laughs) thank you for sharing that what I find fascinating is this there's a lot of people talking about manifestation and you are quite right Demba with the Jim Carrey quote that if you don't actually do anything, you can manifest yourself until the cows come home. The fact but you is, need you know, application. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you, it's like, you know, when, yeah. you know, it's like if you can't sing, you can manifest yourself as long as possible. You know, Luther Vandross is not going to have any problems. You know, you're going to be in the same position that you were before and because you didn't even bother to take lessons to find out whether you could or you couldn't. Or you didn't even bother to do something that would show that you're trying to to move forward. I do get the feeling with manifestation, and I'm a bit of a cynic. All right, then I'm a major cynic. Um, (laughs) Is that I believe that people who are successful in whatever they do, even just getting up in the morning, people who are successful are successful because they genuinely believe in what they're doing. And I think it comes back to the point that you've just made that if you don't really believe in it and you don't really want it, you know, I can't say, oh, I'm going to manifest myself a Ferrari. I can't drive. So therefore, it's a complete waste of time. Oh, you're not making any money. You just, well, okay, well, but yeah. did you did you actually got a job? Or you? Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like it doesn't work hand in hand. It, exactly, <laughs> but but when people talk about manifestation. They don't talk about manifestation in parallel with actually doing something. They just say, if you sit here quietly and listen to the sound of the Yang Lang tree, you will then manifest blah, 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 blah. No, because you're sat there and you're actually not doing anything. You're not generating any money. You're not investing any money and your money's not growing. That's the reason why you know, you, you, you're not getting to where you get to. It's not because you can't do it. It's because you're still still sitting under the tree, cross-legged and waiting for something to happen. But in saying that, I do think you have to start with a certain mindset. I agree. Because if your mindset's not there, just, you know, despite whether or not you are working or not, the mindset's not there. There are some people that are generally working and they're like, I'm not where I need to be. And I think, well, gosh, hold on a minute, you're doing the action, then it's your belief system. And that's why I use the word paradigm shift you haven't got a belief system that's set up for you to succeed because the action is there. And that's why I think being under the trees is useful because you could have no money whatsoever, but if you're believing yourself, because that sets up a certain energy, you're releasing certain energy levels before you've even gone out and got the job, before you even decide to apply yourself. And I think for me, that's more powerful and that's a step that's necessary before the application. Right. And you see, where I actually don't disagree with you on that point, I don't disagree with you because I truly believe that if you're going to be a great singer, for example, and I just use that as an example, if you're singing in the shower, that's fantastic. But it's only you and that bar of soap are going to realise that you can sing. Yeah. You know, so therefore you need to either sing in some sort of public space, in a in a bar, in a club or in a talent space or on YouTube or whatever, 
in order for you to then get people to recognize, oh, this guy's all right, or this girl's all right, this person's all right. Yeah. So don't get me wrong. I don't see, think they think that is complete nonsense, but I think that the way that people represent it, they misrepresent it to a certain extent and not realizing that your mindset has got to, you've got to want to use your powers for good, not evil, number one. Yeah, and yeah. No- <laughs> positive mindset does work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, so once you do that, 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 opens up doors. It's like, for example, we've all been come out of the lockdown thing and we've come out of that area. If people then decide, guess what? If you're going to grow your business just purely by sitting in front of Zoom, you're not going to get the full tangible relationships you're going to get by meeting people, shaking their hands and meeting them for a coffee. And 100%. It's a different type of relationship. You're going to get some people, but will most of those people that you met on Zoom remember you in a year's time? Exactly. Because interactions definitely help. And this is why I think for me, it goes from them sitting under a tree to say, let's get that done and then applying it. And then there's levels to your application. So somebody who's, for example, not working, their next level is to, to go and send out their CVs. Somebody who's already working is to say, well, actually, how can I make more from the job I'm in? How can I move up the ranks? And or should I actually leave this job and actually go somewhere else where I'm doing the same or similar thing and making more money? everyone's level and application is going to be different and it will grow but yep. you have to apply yourself and just like you said we're singing in the shower you know that's great you know maybe the cat if they've got one or a dog can hear them <laughs> singing but you've got to go out now and say right put myself out and I always say my terms is you know let your discomfort be your comfort mm. because there's no growth in comfort yes true. it's lovely there fantastic <laughs> but you're living the world of stagnation and for me I just I couldn't I can't be around people that are choosing they don't think they're choosing to be stagnant I live in a level of growth so much so it can actually cause conflict within my own self. That's something I'm aware of mm. because I'm constantly striving to say, how can I be my best version? Yes. How can I be my best self? But equally, I've had a very happy life. I'm generally a happy person. People want to be around me. And that's why, because I feed myself and I allow myself to be in discomfort, even though I know I don't like it, but I know that's where I've grown the most. Indeed. And if you're not willing to push yourself out of that, then like you said, you can apply it all day long, but you're in your comfort and you're basically not thinking of a positive mindset. You're not believing in you, but you're asking everybody else, well, why did they not pick me? Why did why did I not get on that show? You don't even believe you should do it. So why are you asking Simon Cow to pick you? Yeah, no, <laughs> you and, 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 At least and if he didn't pick you, but like, okay, it just wasn't my timing. Okay, then we can go on to other things. But it's like, well, you don't believe it. And you're just like, oh, he didn't pick me. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. I mean... Be your biggest cheerleader. I yeah, always say that. Yeah, you have yeah, to be. It sounds cocky. Be. It sounds a bit, you know, arrogant to some degree, but you have to be your biggest cheerleader. You yeah. have to be your biggest sales marketer because if you don't, yeah. you, you've already put yourself in a pit before you've even put yourself out there. Yeah, you know? very true. Very true. Um, so yeah. talking about singing in the shower, let's go on to people that genuinely can sing. So we're going to move on to your favourite albums and singles. So yeah. you've put for your favourite album... India Ari, Voyage to India, which is the second album after her initial album, which was um, had the massive hit, V-I-D-E-O video, um, which was everywhere when that came out. But this is the second album, and it's very, you know, very much more of the same. She's just being very earthy, very spiritual, beautiful voice. Why is it important for you? It's important because she, I mean, she actually shares the same star sign with me. I didn't know that at the time. And I just thought, I thought like she's very soulful, very spiritual. I like what I consider is the underdogs. 
I tend to like music where, you know, people may not, I mean, she gets a lot of attention, but in comparison to your Beyonce's, no, you know what I mean? And I feel with her, she's just very grounded. And she talks about like, she, I feel like she speaks from her spirit. Like literally when I hear her, I'm like, wow, how deep does she have to go to get that out? And it was about relationships and the way in which she spoke about it, and I just felt she was just so open and so raw with where her heart is. And she's got quite a few interludes where I just felt like I loved it. And um, one of her favourite songs is basically how she's celebrating herself. That's right. We're you know. going to move on to that. Is that, <laughs> is that private party? Private party. And yes. I just think the way she sings it with a guitar. And I, I sing. I don't, I mean, I've done some singing outside of the shower, but I'm a singer as well. <laughs> so I just, <laughs> yeah, I'm not one of those that's really, you know, really bad. But I'm really, really, really good at singing. People say, well, you know, if I didn't do mediation, and I do a lot, a, a lot of my videos, I actually mix that with my singing and my dancing because that's one of my, you know, my second and third passion, so to speak. Okay, um, cool. So I love Private Party. Um, it's just, it's a great song where she literally is celebrating her. You know, she's like, I'm having a private party, you know, celebrating me. Nobody's here, but my me, my angels and my guitar, yeah. literally celebrating the woman I've become. Yeah. And I'm like, there were time in that period of my time, it was literally like, yeah, I am. Every single day, I'm celebrating the woman that I am. And I'm becoming each and every day. But yeah, I just, I think it's, she has this very acoustic, very spiritual, very kind of like, I'm just going to give it to you. This is what's going on in my life. This is my heartbreak. But without kind of doing the whole with some songs, the blame game, he did this, he did that. It wasn't any of that. <laughs> well, well, I think what I find her is that she, she has a purity to her. There's a purity. You know that she's, you you know what you're going to get with her. And, you know, in the middle of that private party track, she breaks it down and she starts singing Happy Birthday by Stevie Wonder. And she is Stevie Wonder's biggest fan. You know, she's a massive fan of Stevie Wonder. And and, and that influence shows. But I, I would almost put her in almost a more soulful Joni Mitchell. But I think a lot more... Joni Mitchell strikes me as, as colder, not as warm. There's something about India Ari that's very warm. There's something... Yeah, very yes. inviting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 you know that when you go to her house, it's going to be good. You know... It's going to yeah. be cosy. Like, yeah, I feel yeah. like she's my friend already. And I, like, she doesn't even know who I am. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you've you've picked India Ari for two of those things, but you've also got a, a third piece of music, which is the album by Ashanti. <laughs> which is from 2002 so I, i'm very old school i'm like you know i'm literally i'm an 80s baby but i just like the 80s 90s i like i just there's something about i think that's yeah. when it was really good music you could have like several favorites and that at that time i just literally couldn't stop yeah. listening to that album um my friend had come over at the time from jamaica because she was living there she stayed with me and we had it on all of the time and i just couldn't think of how, how many albums do i sit there and listen to like it was constant and that was it <laughs> the, the single Foolish was on there Which was a massive single for her Yeah, mine was Baby That okay. was the one Yeah, that was Yeah, yeah that at was the, the time We were just We had that on repeat I think the, the, the CD started scratching <laughs> <laughs> We listened to it so much It was like, oh gosh Now we've got to stop now You know <laughs> Because the thing is What's quite as sad about Ashanti And it's not sad But in terms of recognition Because you talked about India Ari Not getting the recognition That she deserved yeah, She's an underdog They both are I think she. I think the problem is in terms of 
it's be, be sad to say is that because she was more modestly dressed compared to her contemporaries, I think people didn't really notice her. She didn't play the, India Ari didn't play the, look at me. And that's what I also loved about her. She didn't play up to what, you know, everyone wanted her to be or what she was told. Yeah. And she's even put that in her songs. Yeah. But for me, I think she's still amazing. Yeah, oh, oh, definitely, she really is. Without a doubt. That's what's made her amazing, yeah, you know? Indeed. Yeah. But with Ashanti, she is notorious for the fact that she sung a lot of the lead vocals on Jennifer Lopez records. And that was quite sad, really, because it took them years to acknowledge that. But she had done the demos. And obviously, unfortunately, when you do the demos, you're supposed to take the other person's voice out of the mix. And I think her voice was a lot more in there than it should have been. And maybe Ms. Lopez's voice wasn't as prominent strong? as she should. Yeah, as strong. Yeah. yeah. I don't think she's yeah. got a strong voice. That's no. the best way to describe it. You're, yeah. You're quite right in there. So that's the story of Ashante. So that's the music yeah. section over. So <laughs> now you've got your favourite film or box set and you've got three, um, three the hard way. This is, a, you know, Suits, <laughs> Suits, Billions, Greenleaf, which I put on my notes here. Very corporate, very American and very capitalist. I know. <laughs> I do think they do the best. Listen, my cousins, I do think you do the best shows. There were some shows we've done and I'm like, okay, you tried to mimic it and um, it didn't work, but there's very few. Yeah, they honestly feel like they just they bit out of the park all of the time, <laughs> and suits. It was just it made me just remind myself of like why I'm to come barrister. I just felt I felt strong. I felt important. I felt knowledgeable because it's always important for me to just have a brain. I never wanted someone to see me just how I looked. It was like okay, she might look good, but she knows her stuff. And they just they're, oh, it's like they bought fashion to just be a lawyer. It was just it was great. Loved it and the context. Nine series. I love them all. <laughs> Even when Meghan Markle left, I was like, oh, no. And it, it got better. It actually got better. So, yes, yeah, Suits, love it. Absolutely love it. Suits <laughs> is, to me, I've never really watched it. Oh, but, you're well, missing the, out. But the suits, of my, <laughs> the suits of my day was L.A. Law. Yes, that's another one. See, if you like that, you're going to like Suits. Yeah, yeah. You're going to like Suits, yeah. But I tend not to like watching legal programmes. I spent okay. too much time in the lot. I can't. I can't watch them. Yeah. I can't watch them. I just, I'm sitting there chatting at the screen and doing all kinds but of But you know, this has got so much of a storyline. As much as they, I don't know, I feel like they've managed it well. They've managed to put in the legal cases and they're fighting for that. But equally, the characters are such big characters, like all of them. Mm. Their, their storyline is so big. Sometimes it takes over that you forget, hold on, I'm watching a legal show. Yeah. And I think that's what I enjoy, because I'm the same as you. That's why I read a lot of books outside of law. Yeah, I, I can't. Because I can't I'm like, realize. I do this all the time, and I'm always going to have to, like, let me do something else. But that does it. And Billions is just, like, the stronger version of it. Yeah. Hasn't got a little bit more, I suppose, profanity in it. But the lead character in there, I, it's, yeah, he just does it well. Yeah. He just does it well. So, yeah, it's the context of how they do it, and the characters, they, they normally have a strong... Um, set of characters in there and that's where the the storyline just gets really juicy even though they're you know discussing and trying to resolve legal issues exactly. and I think that's what brings the drama <laughs> great so we're coming towards the end of our discussion today and I wanted to find out from you how do you see things going forward for yourself at SMG Mediation for the next 12 months? We've become recently CPD accredited. Ooh. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like it's going up. We are definitely going up in the world. 
I just want to grow um, as a, a company. I want to help more people. Um, literally, like I said, it's my purpose to help. I feel like I'm in I'm, I'm in my zone. I'm fully in my zone once somebody is just feel helped and helped by my organisation. So it's just growing the team even more. We started to grow it over lockdown and just making sure now we're CPD accredited and with our legal assistant course coming on board is just ensuring that we can help other young you know lawyers paralegals legal assistants just really get on their their journey because when I started you know I'm still growing myself but didn't have anybody like I felt like or well, who else I am that person so whilst I'm trying to grow on myself I'm trying to ensure that other legal students don't feel the struggle and just feel like I've come out of law school then what and exactly. that's really where my journey is, is mm. ensuring that they have the support or knowledge and skills to be able to feel confident because they lose a lot of their confidence. The legal assistance we've had, I felt like I felt like nothing afterwards. You know, when you've had 100 CVs gone out and nobody's come back to you, mm. it depletes you. Of course. So tell me a little bit more about this online legal assistant course. How does that work? How would people sign up for that if they wanted to be involved? Right. So at the moment, and we have had some Zoom registrations, but the best thing to do is to send your CV and to email um, experience or legal assistant course um, at SMG or adm admin at smgmediation.co.uk. Um, and that way we can actually send you the registrant for you to sign up and have a Zoom call and basically discuss what the course is about, which really is a six months course with myself online. So it's a Zoom you know, um, call and where we actually give you the skills and experience so that you're able to, at the end of it, not only get an accreditation, but all the legal assistants that went on the last um, legal assistant course that we have end up with jobs at the end. You know, we had actually one where the last two weeks of the course, she was actually founded and actually got taken on by another, you know, law firm in London. So my whole point of the course isn't just to teach you and give you the skills and give the experience, which they all need. A lot of them are getting, you know, we're coming from a generation, really great, great grades, no experience. So we want to give you that. But at the end of it, we don't just want to say, here's the accreditation, go off and look. They don't know what they're doing sometimes afterwards or how their CVs look. So we help you with your CVs. We help you. We get you aligned with a talent acquisition manager that can tell you what you need to get in, get in the door. And we also help also open doors to other legal firms that are needing your support and needing your type of experience. So you end up hopefully within six months, whether it's on the course or six months outside of the course. So within a year that you'll be able to have not only legal work, but a legal job. How can people get hold of you? You mentioned it briefly there, but shall we run through your online presence and your socials? Yes. So you can get in touch normally by email admin at smgmediation.co.uk and just put legal assistant calls. Um, you can also, you know, go in the DMs, as they call it nowadays <laughs> with the young ones, you know, that is really listening. Go in the DMs and on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, SMG Mediation or my name, Selena Morgan Gow, I'm on both. Um, you can also go on Facebook. We're on Snapchat. Um, we're on TikTok. I mean, we're, we're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so it's always going to be at SMG Mediation or at Selena Morgan Gal. Morgan Gal with a Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N hyphen G-A-Y-L-E and contact us that way. But yeah, we want to help as many as possible. Obviously, we cannot fully guarantee that you'll get a role. But what we can say is that every single person that went on our legal assistant course last have actually ended up with a job within three to six months. And we plan on making sure that is going to be an extra occurrence but you've got to put the work in <laughs> you've got to put, you can't just... I would say that they put the work in and they got it so yeah that's yeah. that's our goal to make sure we equipped you with that skills and experience it's mainly that and then afterwards with that experience then you have them um, you're fully equipped to, to be 
you know, invited to those different roles and presented to those legal law firms. Excellent. Selena Morgan-Gale from SMG Mediation, thank you ever so much for joining us here on the Cashflow Show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and I, I appreciate it. And hopefully we can do this again sometime. Yeah, most definitely, <laughs> most definitely. We've come to the end of the Cashflow Show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or or Spotify podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes, which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for real people, real business, real talk. talk.